The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent round to all that region and brought to him all that were sick and besought him that they might touch only the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. The Gospel of the Lord. From the first reading today, we have uh, what touches on at least some of the uh, knowledge of who Moses was as a person. And one of the ways in which he was described was according to his meekness, that of all the men on earth, uh, on the face of the earth, none were as meek as Moses. And so we've spoken before what meekness means. It's not weakness, but it is a capacity to restrain our actions in an ordered way and control our interior so that we might not become so reflexive, right, in terms of our responses, but more reflective in terms of our responses. Another way in which we can describe meekness as well is the capacity to wait patiently for divine intervention, for God to deliver us from things that we cannot deliver ourselves from. And while we might be fully aware of our weakness, that does not cause us any panic. We, meekness is the capacity to wait in our insufficiency for God to arrive with his power and intervention so that he might achieve what he wants to do in this situation. And so we see that when Miriam and Aaron speak out against Moses, in an attempt that could end up dividing the Israelite people, where they might draw people after them, claiming to be, in a certain sense, level to Moses in terms of mediation with God. Moses doesn't do anything. He waits for God to defend him. And so the Lord does. He calls all three of them into the tent. He says, right, all three of you out into the meeting tent. We're going to have a conversation. And then there what the Lord does is he then uh, rebukes uh, Aaron and Miriam. And then when he leaves, Miriam is left leprous. And we can see still the beauty of the person of Moses. There's no resentment in him. Immediately he intercedes for the one who was his enemy. 
for the one who was putting herself against him. And so we see the beauty of his charity as well, which is that immediately he rushes to need, he intercedes with God, and he intercedes for his enemies. So he becomes this very uh, beautiful and continuous prefiguration of Christ, the one who intercedes for those who are against him, which is all of us because of our sin. And so you see that this meekness and this, uh, uh, this charity is then what we can take into the lens for the gospel today, which is a type of meekness that the Lord wants in the hearts of his disciples. So what he does is he permits a situation to surround them, that he might draw them into higher virtues, namely meekness, higher acts of faith, higher acts of trust, confidence in him. And so Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So you can see he's setting the scene. He knows what's about to happen. He puts them in the boat, he dismisses the crowds, and then he himself goes up the mountain to pray. So he is, in a certain sense, distancing himself from the disciples. As St. Thomas and some of the uh, church fathers say, is that uh, particularly after what we've just seen in the gospel, which was the multiplication of the loaves, which will then prefigure, as it does, the mystery of the Eucharist, which will be the presence of Christ in our midst. What the Lord does here is he allows, as one of the church fathers say, says, he allows his disciples to experience his absence, his physical absence from them, and the turmoil that comes from him not being with them. And so in a certain sense, when he is away from them, that's where you can see all of these things begin to strike and, uh, at, at his disciples. And so even as one of the commentators notes, is that there is a type of personification of the wind and of the waves. It says not that the waves simply beat against the boat, but the waves harassed them. So the waves take on almost like this kind of personal attack against the disciples, representing what is evil in this world in terms of that which puts itself against what God is building, what God is working on. And so you have the waves and the wind are against them or are harassing them. And so it is the way in which the church is buffeted at all times, uh, but again it stands because of that protection that comes from Christ. But he allows this to go on to the fourth watch of the night. He says that it is evening time and already there were many furlongs distant from the shore, but he only comes to them in the fourth watch of the night. And so it is for about 10 hours that they suffer in the midst of this storm, that they are blown about, that they have no control. And so what the Lord again is doing is permitting this situation that he might bring this perfection in them, a greater perfection. But at their time of need, he's, his presence draws near to them again. So we see the power of the presence of Christ, which is that it simply comes over the water. And so the waters without, in, throughout Scripture, even right from the beginning in Genesis, the waters always represent chaos or that which, is, which exists or which is in a certain sense, even though God creates from nothing. It is that chaos before his word brings order, brings creation, brings light, brings life. And so what we see here in this wind and waves which have buffeted against the boat, the Lord simply walks over this. And walking over something in Scripture shows a dominion and power. And so he comes to them in this power. And when they see him, they think this is a ghost. So they doubt the real presence. They think this is just something spiritual, but this is something physical. This is the physical presence of Christ coming to them over the water. And so they, they do not yet still have that perfect understanding of this mystery. But the physical presence of Christ has dominion over all things 
because of who he is, the word of God, the one through whom all of these things were created. He now simply comes walking across the water. And so what you're faced with, as one of the commentators says, is they have the stability in a certain sense of the boat, which is at this point very unstable. And then you have Christ himself who is completely stable, completely at peace. And so what you have is an invitation from Christ to enter into his peace from the midst of the storm. And so what Peter does is he kind of intuits this in a certain sense. And he says to the Lord, call me out to you. Because there is this distance between him and the Lord. And while he is confident in the presence of the Lord, he's not confident in this short distance that exists between them. And so he says, call me out to you. And he knows that then by the word of Christ, everything will be accomplished. So that the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, then if he calls him out on the water, there will be sufficient power to do this. And there is for a while. And so while he is walking out on the water, sustained by the power of Christ's word and oriented towards the presence of Christ, what happens is he becomes distracted. He puts his attention on what he should not have his attention on, which is specifically the wind. It doesn't say the waves. Now, the wind is invisible. The wind's invisible. You can't actually see the wind. You can see its effects, but you can't see the wind itself. And so, in a certain sense, it's to shift our eyes off of Christ and where we can actually see him and his physical presence and to turn it to the things that are, again, swirling around us, to become distracted. And what happens then is immediately he begins to sink. He begins to sink into the waters, into the chaos. And what he does is he then cries out to the Lord. And the Lord then extends to him not only his word, but his physical touch. And at this physical touch, he draws Peter up out of the water. And so this is a very profound image of our participation in the sacrifice of the Mass. In the sacrifice of the Mass, we have the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. We have the Word of God, which calls out to us in the midst of the chaos of this world, in the midst of all that kind of buffets against us, and He calls us to Himself by the power of His Word. And His Word is able to sustain us above the chaos and the waters and hold us in His peace. But then also, He extends to us not only His Word, but His physical touch. We are able to have contact with Christ in the mystery of the Eucharist, that through the Eucharist we are sustained by Christ and stabilized by Him and lifted up by the hand of the waters, of the chaos, of the suffering, of the trial. And this all happens for us in reality here at the Mass. This is where we walk out on the waters to Christ and participate in His holy sacrifice, participate in the great mystery of our salvation, where we hear His word, and where we respond to our presence. And so long as we keep our eyes focused on the presence of Christ, well, then we do not sink beneath the waves. But even if we do lose that courage, well, then the sacrament which restores our faith, which restores our love, is what we receive in Holy Communion, the blessed sacrament, the sacrament of the love of God, the sacrament by which he extends his hand to us and sustains us. Amen.